For ReasonableTheology.org, I'm Clay Craby. The Five Points of Calvinism, Defining the Doctrines of Grace. So what are the five points of Calvinism, and what do these doctrines teach us about salvation? Known as both the doctrines of grace and the five points of Calvinism, these doctrines are named for the distinct theological stances taken by the reformer John Calvin, who actually didn't even use this term himself. The five points of Calvinism came about as a response to some doctrinal positions that were put out from a different theological camp. And so, the five points of Calvinism are known as total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. You've likely come across the acrostic TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, as a memory aid for these doctrinal positions. Well, let's go over a brief description of each doctrine represented by the letters in the acrostic TULIP. First, total depravity. Due to sin, all of mankind is completely sinful or depraved. Every part of fallen man is corrupted by sin. He is a creature that uh, is incapable of obeying the law of God. We see in Romans 3.10 that no one is righteous, and in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So much for the common belief that mankind's basically good. We see Scripture does not paint that picture. Understanding that we are completely sinful or totally depraved is an essential part of fully appreciating God's grace in rescuing sinners from the punishment that we deserve. This depravity affects every part of the human experience, and spiritually we are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1 tells us. This doctrine does not teach that each man is as wicked as he could be. The fact that everyone isn't an anarchist or a psychopath doesn't negate this doctrine. Instead, what is being taught is that our depravity is total in reference to our complete rebellion against God. Look at passages like Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Also speaks to our inability to do good. Look at passages like Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do no good. Let's move on to the U in TULIP, unconditional election. This is also known as sovereign election. This is the teaching that God's rescuing of sinners is entirely due to his own will and his own good pleasure, Ephesians 1.5. Salvation is not brought about in any way by our actions or our decisions. Remember, Scripture teaches that we are spiritually dead. Because of this, we cannot and we will not turn towards God on our own. Instead, it is God who elects believers to salvation. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30. God does this based solely on His grace and not our works. 2 Timothy 1.9 Believers were chosen by God when? Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6 tells us. This further emphasizes our inability to earn salvation by our work, since election predates our very existence. The Bible teaches that those who place their faith in Christ are those whom he has elected unto salvation. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Elsewhere, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him. John 6, 44. You can also look at John 6, 65. 
The Bible is clear that it is God who saves and that he does so according to his grace, not on the condition of our works or even a foreseen response to this grace. It is in this sense that election is unconditional. But now a quick note on election. The idea might be new to you. This might be a new doctrine. As we've seen, we are spiritually dead in sin. We're depraved. We're unable. We're unwilling to choose God. Furthermore, the Bible says that belief is due to God's sovereign election from before the foundation of the world. It's not contingent on any of our actions. Look at Titus 3.5. Salvation is a work of God in us from start to finish. This theological stance is found throughout Scripture. Jesus came to save his people from sins, Matthew 1.29 tells us. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, which represents believers in John 10.11. Furthermore, he taught that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. See Matthew 26.28 and Hebrews 9.28. So that's unconditional election. Let's look at the L in TULIP, limited atonement. Limited atonement can be a difficult doctrine. It's one that should be handled with care. It's likely the most controversial and the most misunderstood aspect of Reformed theology. So this section is a bit longer than the others. Now, atonement refers to the forgiveness of our sins by means of Jesus' sinless life and sacrificial death. Christ atoned or paid for, our sins on the cross, 1 Peter 3.18. So far, so good. That much is agreed upon by just about everyone who would consider themselves to be a Christian. Calvinism is distinct in that it teaches that Jesus' death on the cross did not merely make salvation possible for those who would choose to receive it, but that it made salvation definite for those who have been elected by God. For this reason, many prefer to refer to this doctrine as definite atonement, as there's really nothing limited about the power or the effectiveness of Christ's atoning sacrifice. His sacrifice is completely sufficient to save sinners, but it is made definite only for those whom God has chosen. When looking at this doctrine, it's important to note that all theological frameworks limit the atonement in some respect aside from maybe universalism, which falsely teaches that all will be saved. Now, what do I mean that they limit the atonement? Well, either Jesus' death was intended for absolutely everyone, but is unable to save any except those who respond in faith, so it's limited in its effectiveness, or Jesus' death was completely effective in atoning for the sins of those whom it was intended for. And so the atonement is limited in the sense that it's limited to its intended recipients. So stated another way, either Christ's atoning death was meant for the salvation of all, but it's limited in its ability to accomplish this, or the intent of the atonement was limited to fully redeeming all of God's elect. The latter is the reform position as articulated by Calvinism. This view is reflected in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, where we see that as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Believers are those who were appointed to eternal life by God. Well, now the I in TULIP, irresistible grace. No one can be saved unless they're first drawn by God. Irresistible grace does not teach that God's calling cannot be resisted for a period of time, but it teaches that this resistance will ultimately be overcome. 
For this reason, it may be better to call this effectual grace, signaling that God's intentions will have their intended effect on a person's life. We cannot thwart the will of God to save us. In short, this is the belief that all who are called by God to believe in Jesus will be saved. In John 6.37, Christ states, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And in John chapter 6, verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God's sovereign election is not contingent on our response. Those who are called by him will ultimately obtain justification and glorification. Check out Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30. Finally, we come to the P in TULIP, perseverance of the saints. If you have been justified before God, you cannot lose your salvation. Once a person is truly saved, this salvation is eternally secure. In speaking about his sheep, Jesus taught that no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Rather than having to hold on to our salvation, the Bible teaches that when a person believes in Christ, they immediately obtain an eternal life. Look at John chapter 5, verse 24, and chapter 6, verse 47. This eternal life cannot be lost. Look at John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Those who do appear to permanently fall away from the faith were really never true believers. That's what we learn in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Since we all struggle with sin, we can take great comfort in this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. As John MacArthur has stated, if you could lose your salvation, you would. So let's conclude. The five points of Calvinism, or the doctrines of grace, are merely summaries of what the Bible teaches about salvation. We do not revere these doctrines because they're taught by John Calvin, but because they're found in Scripture. These five points also serve as a helpful introduction to the beliefs of Reformed theology. Although some of these doctrines can seem difficult at first, I'd encourage you to continue to look into these truths. As believers, our main concern should be conforming our theology to what Scripture teaches. So it's my conviction that Reformed theology best captures the truth of God's Word in these and in many other areas. Calvinism has its footing not in the Reformation of the 1500s, but in the very pages of Scripture. Let's close with a quote from C.H. Spurgeon, that prince of preachers who was a passionate evangelist and also a committed Calvinist. Spurgeon wrote, I have my own private opinion that there is no such thing as preaching Christ and Him crucified unless we preach what nowadays is called Calvinism. It is a nickname to call it Calvinism. Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. I do not believe we can preach the gospel if we do not preach justification by faith without works, nor unless we preach the sovereignty of God in His dispensation of grace nor unless we exalt the electing, unchangeable, eternal, immutable, conquering love of Jehovah. Nor can I comprehend a gospel which lets saints fall away 
after they are called and suffers the children of God to be burned in the fires of damnation after having once believed in Jesus. Such a gospel I abhor. So that's a quick overview of the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. I hope you found that helpful. For more resources on Calvinism, on theology, on the study of scripture, visit reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.